Hello and welcome to the Silver King's War. I'm Michael Sievers, the writer, producer, and creator of this podcast series about my father's Second World War as a B-26 bombardier. Today we begin the conclusion to the Silver King's saga with a series of plays about Stanley's family in the post-war years in the suburbs of Chicago titled The Silver Fields of Northbrook. This is a trilogy of plays, each with one act and five scenes, about the Silver Fields, a middle-class post-Second World War family living in the 1950s Chicago suburbs north of the city. These plays, all works in progress, are called The Suburbs, Wrigley Days, and The Seavers all based on true events north of Chicago in the late 1950s. We begin with a prologue. The Silverfields of Northbrook backstory introduces a young World War II veteran, Stanley, who returns from Europe to post-war life in Chicago, a city he loves. Stanley had considered a career with the United States Army Air Corps, which became the nation's Air Force in 1947. But the prolonged, mismanaged wait to return home after the war changed his mind. His parents, Sarah Bell and Milton, wanted him to join the family scrap iron business, Alabama Hide and Scrap, in Birmingham. But Chicago was his target, and he had a job waiting at Acme Paper Box Manufacturing, owned by his brother-in-law, Lee Bernstein. Stanley will be a production engineer and remain a reserve officer in the Army of the United States for a decade. The nation's post-war economy, in transition to peacetime production, was booming. The demand for cars, homes, and good times was soaring. Veterans used the GI government-issue bill to continue their educations and purchase starter homes in former farm fields throughout the country. Stanley had considered the family's Birmingham business or a possible college return, but the rush of life's opportunities propelled him to a favorite American city, Chicago, and its excitement. Then at a holiday party in December 1945, Stanley met Shirley June Gordon. The Bernsteins, Lee and Leona, and Gordons, Norman and Jane, were neighbors on West Aldine near Lake Michigan. A coincidental encounter that evening changed their lives. A six-month romance blossomed. Stanley and Shirley were married at Chicago's North Michigan Avenue Continental Hotel on June 19, 1946. Their rehearsal dinner merged these burgeoning Jewish families at the historic Standard Club. When private clubs throughout America excluded generations of Jews, they bought and built their own. The Gordons joined Bryn Mawr Country Club in Lincolnwood. The Bernsteins moved to Glencoe and joined Green Acres Country Club on Dundee Road in Northbrook. The Standard Club, which closed in 2021, was built in Chicago's Loop to contrast the city's exclusive WASP athletic clubs. The demand for post-war housing meant the newlyweds spent their first days at the Belmont Hotel near Lake Michigan on North Sheridan Road. Then a connection through Abe and Rose Klonick, Jane Gordon's family, meant a temporary apartment. And from there it was Briar Place, 
Melrose Avenue, and finally West Aldine Avenue before a modern cul-de-sac known as Greg Road in Northbrook. The Silver Fields of Northbrook is told through the voice and the eyes of the narrator, Michael Silverfield, who is the son of the Silver King. Michael tells the Silverfield story as a young Northbrook narrator. He's seven as his writing begins. His dad, Stanley, a gifted writer from his war years, their letters and stories, guided Michael's growth as a writer. As the narrator, Michael writes letters to the family's former upstairs neighbors on West Aldine, Lucille and Lester Stern. Aunt and uncle to Michael and Cindy, the Stearns fill a safe place as imagined family members. Michael reads letters to open and sometimes close each scene. First at seven, finishing at twelve, the young lefty who followed Sandy Koufax from Brooklyn to Los Angeles began his baseball and writing career on Great Road. Stanley, his dad, guided Michael's baseball career in Northbrook's Little League and story arcs to imbue him with the code that made the Silver King an extraordinary athlete and war storyteller. Together, they explore Stanley's war letters and Michael's words, building model planes, the B-17 and B-26 from the Second World War, and shaping a son's love for his father. Michael, the narrator, begins with a history of Northbrook. The seven-year-old describes Northbrook as a Chicago suburb near the northern edge of Cook County, in the 2020 census of the United States, Northbrook had a population of over 35,000 citizens. When incorporated in 1901, the village was known as Shermerville in honor of Frederick Shermer, who donated the land for its first train station. The village changed its name to Northbrook in 1923 as an effort to improve its public image. The name was chosen because the West Fork of the North Branch of the Chicago River runs through the village. Members of the Potawatomi tribe were the earliest recorded residents of the Northbrook area. After signing the 1833 Treaty of Chicago, the Potawatomi ceded their Illinois lands and moved to a place near Council Bluffs, Iowa. Afterward, Joel Sterling Sherman moved from Connecticut with his family and bought 159 acres of land in the northwest quarter of Section 10 for a dollar and a quarter per acre. And in 2010, Northbrook's downtown is on that property. By the 1870s, Shermerville was a farming community, and in 1901, the community incorporated as the village of Shermerville. At the time of its incorporation, it had 311 residents and 60 houses. And in these early years, Shermerville became notorious for rowdy gatherings at its five saloons. And in 1921, the residents believed that the name of Shermerville had a negative reputation and sought to change it. They held a contest, and thus they found the name Northbrook. When our family, the Silverfields, moved to Northbrook in 1955, it had approximately 7,000 citizens. Today, 
as I tell you about the silver fields of Northbrook. It's a burgeoning suburb of almost 40,000 citizens, a prosperous part of Chicago's North Shore. Now an introduction to the silver fields of Northbrook. This trilogy is about the Silverfields, an American family, and its life in the Chicago suburbs from 1955 to 1960. Northbrook East was part of a village sprouting from Illinois cornfields to match housing demands for the nation's growing post-war families. This is the story of a middle-class Jewish family, the Silverfields, which moves from Chicago to a growing northern suburb, Northbrook. It's 1955. Stanley, Shirley, Michael, and Cindy Silverfield are living in an apartment on West Aldine Avenue between Broadway and Sheridan Road near Lake Michigan. Stanley, 32, is a son of Sarah and Milton Silverfield of Birmingham, Alabama. Shirley, 33, is the youngest of three siblings born to a Chicago family led by Bess and Jack Gordon. Stanley, known as the Silver King during his Second World War, returned from Europe in October 1945. He moved to Chicago and met Shirley June Gordon at a late December holiday party to celebrate the return of Phyllis Gordon from her Red Cross service in Europe. They were married at the Chicago Continental Hotel on June 19, 1946, 77 years ago. In 1955, Michael is seven, Cindy is four. The time period, 1955 to 1960. Stanley is a Yellow Pages salesman for R.R. Donnelly. It's a new job. For a decade after World War II, he had been a production engineer for the Acme Paper Box Manufacturing Company in Chicago. Acme was owned by the Bernstein family. Stanley's older sister, Leona, was married to Lee Bernstein. Stanley's decision after years of work with an emotionally demanding and difficult brother-in-law created a complex family situation. The five years between 1955 and 1960 will be the best time for the Silverfields over the decades that follow. Yet laced into those years was the strain of a family that haunted them. The idyllic suburban post-war life was lost as the third play, The Seavers, ends in October 1960. As the Silverfields two-car caravan motored northwest on I-90, they became the Seavers. Their lives as a family and individuals changed irreparably in a traumatic move from Northbrook to Rockford, Illinois. Why did the family change its name and move? Stanley, after leaving Acme Paper Box, sold Yellow Page Advertising for R.R. R. Donnelly, and then a better offer from his uncles, Abe and Joe Bailey, became a successful Bailey's Beauty Supply suburban sales route. Stanley was a natural-born salesman. His uncles recognized a talented nephew and offered him a large territory in northern Illinois. The decision to leave Northbrook wasn't easy. The Silverfields loved their community, but the pressure of a family-owned business decision placed Stanley and Shirley in difficult circumstances. The Bailey's pitch was more money and the opportunity to manage a new store in Rockford. The concerns were moving to a foreign terrain with a history of anti-Semitism. 
Shirley only knew Chicago and just learned to drive. Packing Michael and Cindy for Rockford meant leaving their friends behind. A new name? Roy Seavers was playing first base for the Chicago White Sox. Now imagine these North Side loyalists leaving their family title behind. They arrived to rent a small, strange house on Harlem Boulevard near the Rock River. Michael, the narrator, reads the history of Roy Seavers. Roy Edward Seavers, born November 18, 1926, died April 3, 2017, was an American professional baseball player. He played in Major League Baseball as a first baseman and left fielder from 1949 through 1965. A five-time All-Star, Seavers was the 1957 American League home run leader and RBI champion. He played for the St. Louis Browns, Washington Senators, Chicago White Sox, Philadelphia Phillies, and the expansion Washington Senators. He batted and threw right-handed. Seavers was born in St. Louis, Missouri in 1926. He was nicknamed Squirrel as a schoolboy basketball star. He won the American League Rookie of the Year and the Sporting Nudes Rookie of the Year awards in 1949, batting 306 with 16 home runs and 75 RBIs for the St. Louis Browns. His most productive season was 1957 when he led the league in home runs with 42, RBIs 114, extra base hits 70, and total bases 331 while batting 301. He finished third in the MVP race behind Mickey Mantle and Ted Williams. On April 4, 1960, Seavers went to the Chicago White Sox in a trade that sent Earl Batty and Don Mincher to the Washington Senators. In his first year with the Sox, he hit two ninety-five with 28 home runs and 93 RBIs. Roy Seavers was three years younger than the Silver King. Before the first play, The Suburbs, begins... Michael's uncle, a man named Norman M. Gordon, steps from the stage shadow to read from his five-page family history. His middle name is Michael. Norman appears under a single light and begins to read. From the desk of Norman Gordon on June tenth, two 2002. Written to his Granddaughter, Kathy Zavis. Kathy, this is a very brief history of a wonderful group of people who had a tough time when they came to the States. The streets were supposed to be paved with gold, but the pavers never got to the Maxwell Street area. But they all managed to live respectful, honest lives and help to develop good families, which you and your little group are part of. I look on my modest career with satisfaction and hope the family will stay close forever. Love, Grandpa G. Norman Reads, Section 1. Abraham Gordon Family. They came to Chicago from Lithuania in approximately 1875, and perhaps they married in Chicago. Abraham took ill and moved to Pasadena, California, and lived there until 1940. Jane and I visited there on our honeymoon in 1937. 
Abraham started in the soft goods business as a peddler, built a nice wholesale business, had his own three-story building on Roosevelt Road. My dad and the youngest son, Usher, worked with Grandpa Gordon for many years until he took ill and moved to California. In addition to the basic wholesale operation, they developed an auction business. They ran that for many years and then split up in a friendly manner. My dad kicked around for a few years during the Depression of 1929 to 1932. He then became associated as an auctioneer with the largest auction house in the Middle West, selling machinery, soft goods, and doing well until he passed away in 1963. Page 2. My dad had a twin sister who married a lawyer, Ed Berkson, and they lived in the building just west of 451 Aldine, Grandpa Klonick's building. They had two sons, Marvin, who passed away at a young age, and Richard, who died about 15 years ago. There was another sister who married Abe Buhai, the father of Bob, the former mayor of Highland Park. Another brother, Sam, married for many years. She was a clerk for a big judge in Chicago. The youngest brother, Ed's wife, died very young and left a child, Rini who lived in our house for 15 years. It was a very tough time for my sister Shirley. Phyllis was a very independent woman who worked all her life, after graduating from Northwestern in the depths of the Depression. My sister Shirley has had a rough life. She has adjusted to all her hardships with the loving support of all the family and many good friends. Page 3. Phyllis was in the Red Cross overseas for three years. She had a nice relationship with a man who lived in Madison. He died suddenly while visiting her in Chicago. As for me, I graduated from Sen High School in 1931 during the Depression and started dating your grandmother during her school years at Lakeview and the University of Chicago. We were married in 1937, a small wedding at the Standard Club. After high school, I had several jobs, from selling chop suey, paint, etc. In 1933, the World's Fair was in Chicago. My dad's company had an auction house at the fair. I worked there. After work, I took a boat from the fairgrounds to Northwestern University on the Outer Drive for two seasons. I didn't get a degree, but felt I got a good general education. After that, I started to work for Grandpa Klonick and Uncle Herb. Grandma and Grandpa Klonick wanted Grandma to graduate the University of Chicago before we married. So we married four days after graduation, and I have enjoyed all 65 years of my life with your Grandma and the wonderful children, spouses, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. Meyer Singer came from Russia around 1875, and he married Molly Schaefer in Chicago. He was a peddler of notions in the Maxwell Street area, and then he went into business with his wife's family. On the 4th of July, they would open up stands selling fireworks. I would help, and we took home whatever was left and shared them with our neighbors. 
My mother had three brothers and two sisters, a close family group of modest financial means. The youngest brother, Ed, became very successful in real estate. He was very active in many Jewish philanthropic groups. One sister stole dresses in her home. For many years, I remember hearing stories about many relatives coming to Chicago from Russia and staying at my grandparents' home. The Singer family and the Schaefer families took care of many family members that came to Chicago. I had many cousins, but most of them moved to California with their parents, and I have lost touch with them over the years. As Norman Gordon concludes his remarks and the lights begin to dim, he stands very still, looks out into the audience, and says, Your cousin Michael was named for Grandpa Singer and me. Norman Gordon died in March of 2008. He was 94. His sister Shirley Seavers and her grandson Andrew Post, who was the youngest of two sons from Shirley's daughter Cindy, attended the funeral in Chicago. And Shirley spoke about her brother Norman at the service. And this is what she said. My name is Shirley Gordon Seavers, Norman's little sister. Today we celebrate Norman Michael Gordon, a very caring, charismatic, humble son, brother, husband, father, grandfather, great-grandfather, humanitarian, and friend. Today I would like to share a few brief Norm Shirl memories. Norm took me to my first day of kindergarten at Gowdy School. Parenthetically, our mother was playing bridge. Norm taught me how to swim in Lake Michigan. He was a lifeguard. He taught me to roller skate, ice skate, jump rope, play hide and seek. Somehow they never seemed to find me to play kick the can. Norm took me for a ride in his first car. I threw up all over him. Norm tried to teach me to waltz. We both had two left feet. Norm secretly showed me the beautiful diamond engagement ring he bought for Jane. Norm never met a stranger. Growing up, these were some of the lessons I learned from him. Jane and Norm were my role models. Joni, Judy, Jill, and their families will always be my loving nieces. Our mother instilled in Phyllis, Norman, and Shirley June a strong sense of family and community commitment. Norm showed me how to implement these responsibilities. Norm, I too shall miss you. You will always be my big brother. Norm, we celebrate you and your amazing life. Thank you for being Norm. I love you. Shirley Gordon Seavers lived another decade after her brother's death. She died in April of 2018. She was 95. And you are listening to The Silver King's War.